Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Connecticut, I'm Eric Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Before we get into today's banter, a word from this week's sponsor. Cognac USA, Speed Rack, and us, Vine Pair, are thrilled to offer 10 $1,000 scholarship prizes exclusively for professional bartenders. To enter to win these prizes, all you have to do is create an original cognac cocktail and join virtual events in the next few months. I mean, dude, I love cognac cocktails, so I think I would – I mean, if I if I was a professional bartender, I would totally enter. Um, so to enter, though, you just visit cognacconnection.com for details. The deadline to enter is August 31st. That's cognacconnection.com. Also, some legal stuff, the campaign's financed with aid from the European Union. Yeah, and if you don't know how to spell cognac, it's C-O-G-N-A-C. I love that you're coming in hot with the help, <laughs> the help on the ad just to tell you how to spell cognac. I'm just saying, you'd be surprised how many people misspell it. I, that's true. I think it's. I mean, it's gonna be a dope competition. And like, look, if you're entering, like, don't just make a sounds rack. <laughs> that, is not, that, is, that is decidedly not an original creation exactly um or like a riff on a sazerac I, I mean to say but yeah so anyways guys uh you know lots of really great feedback from last week's clean wine episode more clean wine bullshit out there too uh, oh, my <laughs> oh my god it just keeps going i feel like we opened pandora's box by doing a podcast about it because now everyone is sending me every last article they find and i'm like oh this this scourge upon the earth that has been unleashed I mean, I do think like it's kind of it's all coming to a head, right? It's like just it's the the beast that won't stop. And it's kind of taking all of these sort of unregulated terms along with it. You know, it's just like let's I think it's making a lot of people look at the industry and be like, wow, yeah, there there is a lot of ways we used to label this beverage that, uh, you know, basically has had zero meaning. (laughs) And maybe we should look at that regulation. But like now, I mean, you even have people who are taking things that you actually can regulate and redefining them. So, I mean, I know Erica's aware of this because we were discussing on the Slack channel today. Maybe Zach, you saw it too, but like that company clean wines, whatever the hell they're called. Um, they're like actually like using DOC certification and stuff as like a reason to say that they've done the research on these wines that they're clean. I'm like, that's not what right. these certifications are for. Like, but they don't, they're just bamboozling consumers they're just like oh well there's a certification on it so like it's definitely better for you because it says docg yeah 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 it says uh so it was good clean wine and they said each of our wines carry certifications to be classified as either an igt doc or igp wine uh yeah no that has nothing to do with fish bladder sorry like where are you coming up with this I think it just it speaks to what we talked about last week, which is there is this incredible vacuum of of public understanding of wine, and especially when it comes to European wine, what any of those acronyms even mean and what they do and do not indicate about a wine. And it's a real easy vacuum for people to fill with just endless mountains of bullshit. And that's what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. So you know what this reminds me of? Um you know, Zach, probably you, you may recall this as well. Uh, you know, like growing up as like a, a Jewish kid in Alabama, I was like, my, my family wasn't kosher, but like anything that I saw that was kosher, like, yeah, that's ours. And so do you remember the campaign that was Hebrew National Hot Dogs? And they're like, we answer to a higher authority. <laughs> I was, do. And, and like, and they basically just were like, yeah, like we're certified kosher. They never said that meant that the hot dogs were better for you or cleaner, but that's basically what they were saying. And the hot dogs exploded across the, the American market. Like tons of people bought them because they thought they were cleaner and better. Now, like, I don't know, maybe the, the, maybe that slaughterhouse did a better job. Although I, I'm, you know, it's, it's a hot dog at the end of the day, right? Like how much yeah. cleaner is it than other hot dogs? But this is like, this is exactly what this campaign reminded me of. It's like, 
we have a certification that actually has nothing to do with the way we're going to use that certification. But because we have a certification, we're going to make you think that that matters more than other wines that don't. Like, it's just hilarious. They should have just been like, you know, clean wines. We answer, we answer to the Italian bureaucracy with DOCG. <laughs> you know, like we, we answer to a higher authority that Italians themselves don't pay attention to half the time. <laughs> it's like so good. So anyways, yeah, that's, that's, been, that's been fun to continue to watch this thing spiral out of control. Oh, my God, um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, but, but that is not today's topic. Today's topic is instead the, the continued, I know we've talked about it a good bit over the past few months, but the continued, uh, you know, just runaway train expansion of the hard seltzer category um, with so many brands jumping in, right? So I think, you know, it, it seems like now, no matter where you are in the classic wine, beer, or spirits space, you are paying attention to this category, right? We have we have wineries jumping in with wine-based hard seltzers. We have, you know, beer, even craft beer producers jumping in with their own versions of, you know, the flavored malt beverages. And then you have spirits companies jumping in. And then today, because today is Thursday, uh, July 30th, you had Coca-Cola announce that they're releasing a hard seltzer under their brand Topo Chico, which is just unbelievable, right? So everyone is jumping in and I think it's just, it's insane. So we want to talk about it today. So Erica, we're actually publishing a story tomorrow about this, correct? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Courtney Scheisel, who is an um, amazing writer who I love working with, she and I have been uh, chatting about this, you know, on and off for months. And uh, the, the article that is going to be coming out is looking at the massive evolution of this category. Uh, and, you know, we, this is something that went from uh, last year, the entire category was worth 500 million. This year, uh, if you just look at the past 52 weeks, it has already hit 2.7 billion in off-premise sales. And I saw a report this morning saying that hard seltzer sales are now predicted to reach 14.5 billion by 2027. So the the compound growth rate of uh, this segment of the beverage alcohol industry is stunning. You know, it's I think they're saying like 16.2% percent growth compound uh, uh, annual growth rate from 2020 to 2027. That is stunning considering that everything else is flat or essentially flat or down. So it, this this is the runaway train that we are going to see um, quickly evolving and going in new directions. And that's those are the things that we're going to be exploring. It's just crazy. I mean, well, look, there's a reason uh, Anthony Von Mandel, the owner of Mark Anthony Brands, who owns uh, White Claw is now the 40th richest man in the world. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're saying it wasn't all Mike's Hard Lemonade that did that? No, although you know that that's also actually a billion dollar brand, which I never, not surprised. never thought about that. Like I was like, I always thought I was like, oh, who drinks Mike's Hard Lemonade? And then I was talking to Josh recently about it. And he was like, you, did you know that it's actually a billion dollar brand? I looked it up and it is. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I never yeah. would have thought that. I, I, yeah, that is, you would think it, I guess teenagers have a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> teenagers, and I guess yeah. Who else is drinking mics? I don't know. Although if you, I've started paying attention to TikTok. I'm I'm, uh-huh. I'm, ta- I'm talking, and uh-huh. uh, and there's a lot of mics hard lemonade on TikTok. A lot yeah, of mics hard lemonade. Go. But then the only other thing you there's there's like three. This is I mean, so this is why I think it's interesting. So there's only three really alcohols you see on TikTok all the time. You see White Claw as a as a brand. You see all other hard seltzers. Mostly, I would say that it leans into Truly, and then you see 1942 Don Julio, 
And besides that, uh. like <laughs> that's that's really all you see. Um, I mean, you see some wine, but it, it's not in the same. Usually, it's like someone holding a glass, like they're not showing you the brand in the same way. I guess you know what I mean. It's like if someone is saying they're drinking wine, you just see wine in a glass, and they're not usually pouring that brand and showing you what the brand is. But when it comes to like you know hard seltzer, they're they're very much showing. I think it's I think it's amazing. I think that the amount of sort of loyalty to both the category consumers feel right now and loyalty to the brands they're choosing is something that we've never seen before. And and it's happened this fast, you know, like I think you had like the beer wars between Miller Lite, Coors Light and Bud Light evolved over a decade, you know, or decades of them really going to war and telling you, you know, to do these taste tests and pick one over the other. Like the, the war over someone who chooses you know, what it means to choose a truly compared to what it means to choose a white claw <clears throat> truly is, you know, positioning themselves as being like anti-bro white claws positioning themselves to be super bro is really interesting that it happened that fast. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I think like the innovation that you're talking about, Erica, is interesting because it's, there's innovation that's happening both, you know, on, on the liquid side, lots of liquid innovation and there's massive marketing innovation. And the way that people are talking about these beverages and the way that they're they're playing around to get these beverages in front of consumers and, you know, doing creative marketing campaigns and influencer outreach and videos and songs and stuff like that is is something that we also haven't seen before at this speed. And the amount of money, like usually, also I think is really interesting is usually when there's a new category of alcohol or even just an emerging brand of alcohol – Usually what you hear from the producer is that they're not they're not gonna really spend very heavily against it, right? So they're just gonna see what happens in the market. Like, are we gonna, you know, do we gain a little bit of a a foothold just organically? Then maybe we like we'll slowly grow, especially in the term in the way of craft beer, right? Like most of these bigger craft breweries, you know, never spent on marketing. There was it was all about word of mouth. But in this category, you have people launching brands and committing to, you know, six and seven figure spends on marketing almost immediately upon launching the brand because they realize that's what it's going to take now. And because there's so many brands in the space, but that's not stopping anyone from launching new stuff, which I just think is amazing. Yeah, definitely. So I, I thought that occurred to me. So I was talking to my stepfather the other day who is uh, doesn't drink. And he was asking me, it's like, do you guys ever talk about cider? And I was like, no, we talk about hard seltzer instead. And it's like, this is like, this is like what was supposed to happen to cider, but on like every kind of steroid you can imagine where it was this sort of like new category that was going to capture a different segment of the drinking public that had maybe been ignored or at least not fully catered to. But I think the fascinating thing that, that and, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on a couple of these specific ones, because I'm really curious is, you know, as the as the category starts to kind of radiate out from this sort of what I think we would have defined a year ago as sort of the what is hard seltzer, meaning, you know, very, you know, locale, um, you know, sort of some sort of fruit flavor and alcohol. And now we're getting into these sort of cocktail seltzers, wine seltzers, all this other stuff. You know, do you think, do we think that the, the, that what is the selling point for it at this point is the connection to these established, this now established category? Or is it really about more the ease of use? Because I think this is the thing that's fascinating to me. Is it is it really the can or is it the the sort of, I don't know, I guess the sort of category that matters? Well, for me, I think it's, it is, the convenience is definitely one of the drivers. But then I think it's also that better for you trend, right? So, so we know millennials uh, are not drinking as much as, you know, th- those of us who came before. <laughs> 
but they're drinking better. And, you know, when you're looking at the trends of health and wellness, and then also the variety seeking behavior, and also some level of premiumization, it supports that there's this growth of the hard seltzer category that is going to go so much further than where we are now. And we're already starting to see that. So for example, one of the um, breakout hits of the summer has been High Noon, which is a vodka-based hard seltzer. We're starting to see uh, other vodka seltzers like Keel Sparkling, tequila-based hard seltzers like Volley Spike Seltzer. Those RTDs, I think, are kind of the next evolution. So we have, uh, you know, this initial burst of brands that are really going out with this malt beverage, but doing the very clever marketing around uh, the calories and the carb counts. But then I think people, millennials especially, will wise up and say like, I don't, you know, malt beverage, I don't know if that's for me. What's the What's the healthier alternative? And that's when they're going to start going down the road of the high noons and the volley spiked seltzer. Not because it is, you know, by virtue of anything better for you, but because they feel like it's better for you. And you can see, Zach, what I think is interesting is in the in this hard seltzer category, like like if we took like, let's say we, we take each, we say hard seltzer is a category as its own, right? And then let's break it down into three. Let's say that one is spirits based. So as the high noons that Eric is talking about, then one is FMB, right? So that's that's really what's leading the charge, right? They, I mean, they have I think Truly and uh, White Claw together have over sixty percent of the market, or maybe it's even seventy. They have a lot of the market, which is why uh, Boston Beer's stock right now is valued at a thousand dollars a share. Um, and then you have the now the, the wine based seltzers, right? And each one of them are also kind of following this marketing playbook that I alluded to or mentioned, not even alluded to uh, earlier with the difference with how Truly and uh, White Claw are facing off, right? And so you see that as well in Spear Space, right? So High Noon has really leaned in to a brand many people would say is extremely toxic, Barstool Sports, right? Like, but that has become the brand they've aligned themselves with. And it's a very heavily bro-based brand. And then you have other spirits-based, you know, spiked seltzers like uh, sorry, hard seltzer now, like two chicks and and some of the other brands that uh, Eric has mentioned that are that are going for the the higher end audience, right? And saying like they're they're for the non bros, for for people that are just interested in you know that that purity that Eric is talking about. And I think that hasn't happened yet in wine, but I think you'll see that as well. Like I'm curious to see which which wine brand will create kind of like the bro tastic, um, or let's not even say bro. What really means like frat tastic, like party party brand, and which one will then be sort of the the foil to that brand. Um, and so it's interesting that that's like, that's playing out. It's like sharks and jets among seltzer and like, and who, what you drink kind of defines who you are. And I think that's interesting too, that brands are willing to do that because they realize these audiences are so big. Cause usually you wouldn't align yourself with a brand like Barstool because you would, you would assume that it would turn off so much of the population who is sick of the misogyny and you know, their racist behavior. But there's a lot, there's, there's such an audience that's still there that High Noon says, well, we'll just take this audience and that'll be ours and we don't care if we lose anyone else. And someone else turns around and says, okay, cool, we'll take everyone else, right? And that's that's what's happening sort of in, in these seltzer wars, which is really crazy. I mean, we had the cola wars in the 90s and we're literally going to have the seltzer wars. I wonder if, you know, you, you talked about sort of what's happening with with this sort of uh, face-off mentality, these sort of, you know, you're going you're gonna to align yourself with a, with a particular brand. 
Do you think that, you know, what we saw happen, you know, you were talking about not just the Cola Wars in the 90s, which for those of you who are too young to remember, it was Pepsi and Coke. You might have heard of them. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then one. you talked about, yes, uh, well, yeah. And, uh, and we might have talked about the, you know, we talked about the sort of light beer, uh, whatever, three-way battle between Miller Coors and uh, Bud Light. But I wonder if, you know, this category and, and just our, the mentality of the public at this time, do you do we think that there, that's what's happening now is what's going to continue to happen, which is there's going to always be a sort of newcomers on the scene? I mean, I guess I wonder if, you know, maybe a year ago we were talking about like, wow, is White Claw going to rule everything? And we, and we you know, um, I think they still do, as you pointed out, Adam, you know, they, they control a huge, they or they truly control a huge share of the market at the moment. But I do think that, you know, the, the thing that's different about the, the public now, as opposed to 25 years ago or whatever, is that I think a lot of people don't necessarily want to identify themselves with a, what feels like a behemoth of a brand. There's always going to be, I think, a segment of the population that wants to try not just something new, but sort of the underdog, I guess is how I would put it. And does that is that kind of mesh with how you guys see the landscape shaking out that there's going to be room for smaller producers? Because I know when we last talked about uh, hard seltzer, one of my questions was sort of like, is there ever going to be space for, you know, quote unquote, craft in this category? And, and I don't know that we know that yet, but maybe we're starting to find that out. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think look, look at what we're already seeing, you know, uh, Ramona, which is uh, owned by Jordan Salcedo. She was a Psalm who came from uh, Momofuku and then started this this uh, spritz brand that is very focused on quality. They're very transparent about their practices. Then we have Hoxie, another wine-based spritz. Uh, Valerie Mastin, who was previously at Skernick, she's at the helm. These people are super focused on the quality and transparency and making a really awesome you know, product. But the interesting thing that I've seen uh, these brands do, particularly Ramona, is that they didn't used to um, market the uh, calorie counts and, you know, carb counts and all of that, but now they are. And I think so they are saying like, okay, hey, hard seltzer drinkers who do not want to identify with these bigger brands, we're here for you. We, we are a 90 calorie product and we have, you know, we're organic and sustainable and like all of these types of messages that they uh, are giving, I think that's just the beginning. So we're going to keep going down that path where the amount of complexity and differentiation that we are going to see in this category is going to be huge. I think two years from now, four years from now, it's going to look entirely different. And it's going to be just as big as as the craft uh, brewing explosion that we saw in previous decades. Yeah, I think and I think the reason for that is because there is to, to make a hard seltzer isn't that difficult now for any of these brands, right? So craft brewers can really easily add seltzer to their their repertoire, right? I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll start seeing like hazy hard seltzers. Wouldn't that be crazy? But like, you know, they can easily add that kind of stuff. And then in, in the wine brands too, I think now that they're seeing, you know, a lot of them were slow to move to cans, but now most of them are. So now they've kind of realized like what it means to have a canning apparatus, and now, so, okay, so then adding your canning apparatus, a beverage you're making where you're just putting some of your wine and mixing it with, you know, seltzer water and some probably sugar and flavoring is, is a lot easier for a lot of them to get in. And I think then, yes, people will start to, you know, diversify. I think there was, it was interesting. So um, pretty recently, maybe it was yesterday, uh, the wine economist tweeted uh, basically a, a chart that shows, um, you know, how many, who the largest basically 
wine companies in the in the world are. And basically, you know, he said the largest four suppliers, which are Gallo, Constellation, the wine group, and Trincaro, control 60% of the market, which is pretty normal. I mean, that's the, you know, that's not as bad as beer, actually. Only only two really control, you know, 60, 70% of the market, right? So I think in every in every space of alcohol, you'll see two, three, four brands that will or companies that will control a large share of the market and they'll have lots of offerings in that in that share of, of the market. And then you'll have everyone behind them. You know who have a, a very good business and a decent amount of people who are who are buying from them, and some of them will be other I don't know less craft focused brands, and some will be more focused craft brands. And I think as this category continues to explode, as Erica is saying, that definitely is is a continued possibility because I think what people are attracted to about the category is that it is light, refreshing, etc. And it reminds them of things that came before. Like I think, you know, the Aperol Spritz, we talked about this before, but like the Aperol Spritz has a lot to do with the explosion of this category. Just regular seltzer in general has a lot to do with the explosion of this category. Like consumers were kind of primed to find something like this, for something like this to be given to them and then like fully embrace it. Yeah. And Aperol right now is way down because of uh, on-premise not being around. Why doesn't, why doesn't Aperol have an RTD? Why haven't they curious, done that yet? Campari, That's, if you're listening, you should have an RTD fast. You, dude, you need you need an RTD way fast because people would drink it. There's great brand recognition after all the Aperol spritzes that we've been drinking over the past probably five years. Oh, totally. Think, that would crush. Crush. And I think the other part of this is, and it feeds into another sort of piece of this, which is we are living in an off-premise world. And I think we're going to be living in an off-premise world for a while still. And, and if you're a brand, whether it's Aperol or many others that, that has relied traditionally on a lot of on-premise sales and, and just that driving the identity of your brand, I don't know if you can afford to wait around another year before that starts coming back. Cause you know, spoiler warning, that's my projection on how long it's going to take at a minimum. And I think, you know, you just, yeah, you have to capitalize on your, on your recognition, your name ID now and, and get yourself in front of people in the format that they are most comfortable with. And the, the honest truth is a lot of people in this country, even if it's real simple to put Aperol in a glass and put sparkling wine in there are, are much more likely to drink your product if it is in a can and all you have to do is open it. Totally. Especially if it's especially if it's in a mixed case with a you know Negroni spritz and something else that you whip up. I mean, I completely agree with you. And look, I think this is this is a, a little bit of a segue here, but you bring it you brought it up in terms of the next year, which I think you're right, Zach, if not longer. Um, but you know, I didn't. I, I, was, I was very angered by this interview, but I heard an interview with Mark Cuban. Uh, you know two or three days ago and he was being interviewed. You're not getting your shark take invite anytime soon. No, it's fine. <laughs> or, or my, or my, my court side uh, seats to the, to the Mavericks, but that's cool too. <laughs> uh, but basically he was talking about how ba- like the way that he looks at investments and the way that like basically people change preferences. So he's like, look, like it's really shitty that all these restaurants are about to go under or that, you know, these bars are suffering, but it's not, but because they're about to go under or bars suffering doesn't mean people aren't drinking or aren't eating. They're finding new ways to drink and new ways to eat. And there's a, you know, we've talked about this before. It takes six to eight weeks for things like that to become a habit. So, you know, how long, how much longer might it take for bars and restaurants to fully come back? Because people have just like started to realize like, man, I make really good bread at home. Why was I buying this out? Or I figured out that I can make a really good steak or I can bring in really good wine or really good cocktails or things like that. Right. And so I think, while it's a year, for sure, I think until it, it even feels like we we feel comfortable going and, and sitting at, at all, I think it could be five to 10 years before we're back to any level like we were at, you know, six months ago. And in all that time, Seltzer is going to just become more and more and more dominant. Or this RTD category that Eric is really talking about is going to become more and more dominant because it's going to be about 
being out with your friends, the convenience of those products, the ability to go to the park or to, you know, it's really, it's really nuts here. I'm, I'm curious for you, Zach, what Seattle feels like. Eric, I'm not going to ask you because you're in Connecticut. So like, <laughs> but like it, it, New York City feels like Europe right now. Like it's really the weekends. It feels like Europe. It's really crazy. You go to the parks and they are crowded with people, whether that's a good or a bad thing. But they're all picnicking and bringing drinks. And I and every time I look at people drinking and I see a ton of seltzers and that because it's easy, right? That that portability is really easy. And I think you know if you're seeing that too in Seattle or people are seeing that in D.C. or Atlanta or wherever else they live who listen to the podcast, I think you're going to see that continue because people are realizing. What, a, what what's so beautiful about that and what people in Europe have liked about that for, for decades um, and may have gotten more use of that than saying, well, you know, maybe I, I don't want to go and do this at a bar or a restaurant every weekend anymore. Maybe, maybe I can do, maybe that's my, my splurge once a month instead of every Friday and Saturday night. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, yes, I'm definitely seeing that in Seattle. I think, I think the thing you see is a combination of people in parks and other public spaces. And then you also sort of see just, um, you know, where I live, you definitely have lots of people who have, you know, some uh, outdoor space of their own, a backyard or or a front yard or something like that. And, and people are in those or even a rooftop. Um, and yeah, and it's just every most things are in cans because, you know, it's I mean, there's a reason why it's been the you know, it's been the dominant thing for for a lot of, you know, a lot of beer brands because it's easy. It's you know, you can it keeps cold pretty well and, and you can fit it in your fridge simply. And it's just, you know, a bottle of wine is cumbersome and if you don't have a if it's got a cork in it you don't have a corkscrew with you you're kind of stuck and you know certainly bottles of spirits that you have to mix together are not something someone's gonna i mean i might take them on a picnic but most people won't and (laughs) uh, i would pre-batch let's be honest (laughs) but you know the point is but the point is for a lot of people who want those flavors the the can is really the the only way they're going to be willing to to go in on it if they're not having someone else make it for them so yeah if you're if you're out there and you've got a brand and you're not thinking long and hard about how to get your product in the can. I, I feel like you are just, you're, you're, you're missing the boat. Absolutely. It's like the people who are like, you know, in the music industry, like we don't need to do MP3s. Like we're still doing (laughs) CDs or like, you know, it's just like, it's, this is coming faster than we've ever seen it come before. And yeah, if if you're not thinking long and hard about like what you, how you're putting your wine in can or your, your just RTD product or whatever, or your like your Aperol and you're listening to the podcast right now and you're, and you don't have Aperol spritz in development right now to roll out very soon in a can, I, I, you're missing something because that's, no one's going to bring a bottle of Aperol, a bottle of Prosecco and a bottle of sparkling wine to the park. I've, I don't see it, you know? And I think that's why we've also seen much less of that consumption this summer because it's great to drink it when it's at the bar and you don't have to worry about having all, you know, those three simple ingredients as, as Zach says, but it's much different when you're like, okay, like, well, how would I batch this? Because first of all, that means I have to pop the bottle of Prosecco. So is it going to get flat on its way to me, you know, taking it to the park? Uh, if I, if I don't, then I'm bringing three things. So what happens when like, obviously the sparkling water and the Prosecco run out before the Aperol, right. Or, or vice versa, like, how does that work? And, Blah, blah blah, and it just it becomes like too much for people, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, you know, and then you grab a white claw, <laughs> exactly, because you're like, I'm just looking for flavor bubbles, exactly, yeah. and just think about, you know, as soon as it gets cold out, people will have spent this entire summer experimenting with different brands, seeing what they like. They will have found a couple of things that they really like, and you know, the we've seen this massive rise of at home cocktails, and I think we will that will continue on. But to be honest, a lot of people are just lazy and just want a drink at the end of the day, and those. Uh, White Claws and Trulies, et cetera, are just going to be popped open. Like, and, and the cocktail may come to be more of like a, a special thing that you're maybe not making every day. Who, who knows? But I think that people will have spent this entire summer 
testing and trying out the different brands that are in their marketplace. Like literally when I've gone into liquor stores, that's where people are gathered looking at like the different hard seltzer selections. They're trying them all. And at the end of the day, like that's going to be the go-to probably in a lot of cases instead of like a beer or a glass of wine. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. And like, look, I mean, for me, I still haven't found my, my hard seltzer that I love. Um, it's just not really my thing as much, but I'm going to, I'll tell you mine. So I, okay. So I have, so I like the Ramona dry grapefruit, which is like the driest version that they're making. I love that. And then I also am super excited. Like my at home drink is, is ranch water, which we are now all drinking, which is uh, just, it's a tequila soda with a bunch of lime. Now there's three new ranch waters out on the market that I've just read about that. I'm going to try super excited to try them. But I think Mm. that that, that type of thing where it's just like an, easy thing that you can pop open. Um, they're just getting better and better. Yeah. I don't, I haven't had a lot. I mean, have you had, have you had any Zach that you like or that you, that you would reach for? Um, I actually, I, I was funny that, uh, Erica said the Ramona, uh, dry grapefruit, cause that's actually the one I've had most recently that I really liked as well. Uh, it's definitely an area that I will freely admit I need to explore more. Those of you listening who want to send me some samples, do it. Um, <laughs> I will, I will, I will give them a try. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's what, what Erica said is a really good point, which is that we are, we are at the, this phase of expansion that's super exciting where, where some really interesting ideas are taking hold, where really quality producers who are, who are, I mean, again, not to say anything about the quality of some of the existing products, but a lot of it is aimed at a mass market, but, but some of the more niche products are, are starting to hit the market. I would be, you know, I would be interested in trying more of those and just in general, getting a sense for, you know, I think the, I like sparkling things. I like bubbly things. So it's, it's definitely a category that I have interest in. And I think as you get more quality and more diversity in there, I'm sure that I will find a few that I like. I've even sort of convinced my wife that we can buy them. It's okay. She drinks so much, (laughs) she drinks so much sparkling water that I'm like, you know, this is, and and sparkling wine. I was like, this is just a nice midpoint for the two of us because sometimes I don't want to drink I don't want to drink wine, hard as that is to believe. Yeah, you. I mean, see, for me, again, yes. If you'd like to, if you listen to the podcast, you have some sparkling seltzer, and you want to send it our way. I mean, sorry, some hard seltzer. Uh, let let us know. Email us podcast at vinepair.com. We'll give it a try. Let people know what we think on at a later date. I am curious. I have yet to find one that I completely love. You know, I've had Willie Superbrew. I've liked it, but I think what also has been really crazy to watch over the la- over the summer is also the way just the names the, the term seltzer has completely morphed. So, like, we went to the park recently, met up with my uh, cousin and his fiance, and um, we were sitting down. It was like the middle of the day on a Sunday, and like my wife and I day drink, but weren't like in the mood at that point. And they asked us if we wanted seltzer, and but I was like, no, 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 like we don't want seltzer right now. And they're like, no, 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 it's seltzer, seltzer. We're like, oh, yeah, well, totally thanks. Like, the, the fact that, like, that's what to us seltzer meant at this point was, yeah, it's alcoholic is also in just absolutely insane and speaks to just the how much this category has taken over just in the last year. Yeah, it's it's a behemoth. Yeah. Just going to get bigger and bigger. Just going to get bigger and bigger. So, guys, we'll, we'll check in about this again as, as time goes on. Maybe this fall when someone's released a pumpkin spiced seltzer. Uh, uh, and, you, predict, and it, and you predicted this last year, and I was It's going to happen. I, I promise uh, you it's going to happen. I will be like, you're going to get a pumpkin spice seltzer and some sort of like peppermint latte spice. You know what I mean? Like some peppermint seltzer. I promise you. Like it's, it's for sure coming. It, there's no way that someone is not trying it or someone hasn't already tried it and it just has it ready to launch, you know, at the end of August. I'm just, I'm convinced. Just as long as we don't get a turkey and gravy one, I'm good. 
Uh, that's <laughs> That'd be so gross. But yeah, so anyways, if you uh, if you have thoughts about this podcast, hit us up at podcast.vinepair.com. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, you know, If you have any other questions that you want us to discuss on the show, let us know as well. And as always, it really helps if you can leave a review, a rating, et cetera. Tell your friends, family, people you don't even know just walking on the sidewalk about the show. It really helps people us get the word out there and more people discover what we're up to. Uh, and Zach, Erica, before I say goodbye, let's hit him with one more ad cool let's do it sounds good all right bartenders enter the cognac connection challenge to win a thousand dollar scholarship we're giving away 10 of them the deadline is august 31st go to cognacconnection.com as zach said you spell that c-o-g-n-a-c-o-n-n-e-c-t-i-o-n.com it's enter and for all the details thanks so much see you guys next week sounds great bye thanks so much for listening to the vine pair podcast If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.